Everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 10, issue 476. And we're going to talk about The Last of Us, part two. Joining me, Leon Cox, in this issue are Joshua Garrity. Hello there. Carl Moon. Hey, everyone. And Thomas Quillfelt. Hi there. Uh, so, yes, uh, well, just I wanted to say uh, we are, we're actually talking in the virtual green room as we do. And uh, we do we do sometimes feel a little bit more kind of responsibility when it's a big game with a capital B that's had a lot of online discourse but ultimately please be aware that this is just your regular Kane and Rinse podcast it's four straight white guys giving their opinions and experiences on the game it's probably not going to change your life or even change the discourse on The Last of Us Part 2. We are also aided and abetted as ever of course by our community correspondents who are hopefully a more diverse bunch than we are, and certainly possibly in terms of opinions, although, to be honest, I don't know exactly what everyone here assembled feels about the game, uh, but it should be interesting to find out. Also, this is your spoiler warning. If somehow, a year down the line, you've still managed to avoid finding out what happens in The Last of Us Part 2, and you don't want to know, then I would recommend not listening to this podcast before playing the game. The Last of Us Part 2 is, in case you don't know, a story-driven, third-person, action, stealth, horror game, I guess. It's got RPG elements and, you know, various modern AAA facets. Uh, It is the sequel to 2013's The Last of Us, also by Naughty Dog, the developer. In brief, our histories then, uh, did we pre-order, I guess? Did we play the original? Have we been through the game multiple times? Obviously, uh, there's only three ways to play this game. It's a single format title on PS4, but there are three ways, PS4, PS4 Pro and PS5, which now has some benefits. But beyond that, we're not going to be talking too much about versions and things like that. Josh? Yeah, so um, I do have a history of the original version where uh, I played it. Uh, back in 2013, I replayed the remastered version for PS4. I did uh, buy this game day one, played it through, um, and I've had a little bit of a revisit on the lead up to this podcast. Uh, that's about it, really. That's fine. Carl, how about you? Yeah, so very similar to Josh, I picked the original up in 2013 on the PlayStation 3, and I actually didn't click with it straight away. I I had that same lethargy towards it that I did with Uncharted 2, but rather than force myself through, which was a mistake with that title, I decided to wait. Um, Obviously, in waiting, they released the remaster on PlayStation 4. I picked that up um, and actually clicked with the game immediately, ended up falling in love with that game for many different reasons. So the wait for the sequel, which... You know, I was adamant never needed to exist um, until I yeah. played it mm-hmm. um, and, you know, pre-ordered it, went on a media blackout for pretty much 15, uh, 18 months. 
so about a year and a half i knew nothing about it other than the original uh teaser trailer that was put out at e3 and then avoided everything else like the plague and thankfully that includes any possible spoilers so yeah it was one of those games where i just really restricted my access to so many different outlets cool tom about yourself so i was caught up in the greg miller podcast beyond ign hype uh, before the first game came out in 2013 and greg miller's 10 out of 10 review dropped on ign and i bought that game day one loved it was very wrapped up in the hype bought the dlc day one uh, got the ps4 version pretty swiftly and uh, took for a replay um um was definitely down for this and then I saw the E3 trailer where they show a snippet with uh, Abby and Lev and, and and that very grim scene. And I suddenly really took a disliking to this or, or mm-hmm. quite a strong yeah, aversion to what might be in store. Yeah, I still uh, and then the, the crunch story hit as we as we'll discuss later. Uh, but I still bought it day one. And the discourse, of course, started around the leaks. So I was like coming in super trepidatious. Still got it day one, um, played it quite slowly on PS4 Pro 1080p and then recently kind of whacked through it with some, you know, super helpful gameplay modifiers on PS5 at 60 FPS. Mm. Yeah, I played the original on PS3, reviewed it actually at the time, uh, played the DLC when it came out on PS3, replayed that all again on PS4 and possibly PS4 Pro uh and sort of upped up the difficulty from my standard normal to sort of mucking around with uh some of the survivalist or grounded settings or whatever it is as well but uh, i haven't finished it on those rock hard settings but i quite enjoy a dabble and i was also like carl of a mind that i didn't really want there to be a sequel i thought the story ended where it needed to end and and i think maybe that's even how the writers were feeling at the time but they they came up with a story that they felt they wanted to tell and that would uh, benefit the overall story and presumably also, you know, make some money and stuff as well. Uh, so I can't remember the exact sort of hype levels or anything, but I knew I wanted to play it. So I, I pre-ordered it digital, played it through on PS4 Pro with the engines whining uh, last <laughs> year. And then this year I replayed it for the show on one level up, played it on hard level just to add a little bit of tension on the PS5 in 60 FPS, which is uh, which was very nice indeed. And I, I noticed on my save files yesterday that I finished the game precisely 365 days after I finished my first playthrough. Uh, a lot of it was clear in my very clear still in my mind. A lot of it is kind of seared onto my brain. And there are a few bits which were a little hazy, but are now no longer hazy. The developer is Naughty Dog. For Sony Interactive Entertainment, the director is Neil Druckmann and kind of he takes a lot of the press and a lot of the praise and a lot of the flack as well. But there are also game directors, Anthony Newman, Kurt Marganau. And I think it's also worth saying that actually credited as lead writer is Halle Gross, not Neil Druckmann. He's also named. And there's also additional writing from Josh Sher, although how much of there that is, I don't know. Gustavo Santolaya returns as main composer with some support from Mac Quayle. PS4 was the platform of release, of course. As I say, you can play it on the, on the three platforms, but it came out on June 19th, 2020, in the end, just over a year ago. The reviews 
in the professional press were by and large glowing, with it ending up on an average open critic score of 93%, with 95% of reviewers recommending it. And the game went on to be nominated for an enormous truckload of end of year awards for best game, artistic, audio, game design, music, technical, animation, story, you name it. The game, according to Wikipedia's dedicated page, had 94 nominations, of which it won 42 awards. As of November 2020, the game is reported to have sold 7.1 million copies. I imagine that's gone up since then. Art design then, graphics and the technical side of things. Obviously, this is now a last gen game, like it or not. So uh, it looks rubbish. It looks, it looks... absolutely <laughs> abysmal. Yes. Uh, what, I, what I guess, because there's so, this game is very long. There's a lot of it. There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Uh, it's a very expensive game, as I say. I think it's, I think it's fair to say that most people would consider right or wrong Naughty Dog as a studio of talented artists and coders and developers. So it almost goes without saying that the game, you know, looks kind of amazing. I I, I think one of the most impressive things in this game, if I was going to pick one thing is the rope physics. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Like the way um, uh, th- there are several moments when um, Ellie and Abby have to use a rope either as like, a, you know, like a grapple or or just like there's a, a section where um, Ellie has to get a big long cable and connect it up to something as yeah, well. that's right. But just like the gathering, the, the consistency of the length, there's mm. like, you know, it's always the same length like uh, you uh, any uh, you, c- you could imagine and you would totally forgive if you were a player if they you know pay, p- you know played a little bit fast and loose with like the yeah. consistency of how long that cable is yeah. or how long the rope is but they they paid very close attention to making sure right there is this much rope and that's consistent and mm. then the way that she gathers you know both ab Abby and Ellie gather that rope very carefully, like the animation that's, you know, like there's a lot of effort put into making this very simple interaction, which in any other video game would just be like a button prompt and you just automatically have a big, you know, bundle of rope in your hands. Yeah, we should say you can wander around, like you can be, you can walk left and right through doors, yeah, over ledges yeah. and the rope will go with you as far as it can go and also yeah. that although this is going into gameplay because i think it, it's also fair to say that we were all starting to notice some of naughty dog's puzzles yeah, coming yeah. back over and over again the, yeah there's got to be got to be a way around, way here. around you, yeah. you go up there push the thing off the ledge and we'll climb up the thing there's hardly any of that in this game and things like the rope and the the dumpsters on uh, on slopes and things like that enabled them to actually bring in whole new kind of gameplay puzzles just to, you know, yeah. not nothing that's really going to tax you, but slightly beyond a just put the crate in the right place and climb up it kind of. The details of the world are just, they're just sort of endless. The fidelity of the clothes, the denim, mm. the facial hair, the you know the you look out a window and there's a rabbit that looks like a real rabbit that just or a squirrel or something you know there's tiny little touches it's all very staged with um some of the world's touches but then other others are like the sway of the different foliage and there's so much 
different trees, plants, flowers, and it all looks fantastic. And you know the way that the the lighting artists at Naughty Dog always catch you know a building at a, a, a diagonal, don't they? And just everything looks glorious. Um, and, and if you spend a lot of time in photo mode, like I do, although I'm just a tourist, uh, relatively speaking, you you maybe see a few more of those details um, than someone just sort of bashing through. But yeah, every corner of the world is 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 full of ridiculous things, like the children's play area in the hospital, which actually nearly made me tear up. I have young mm. children. But just seeing these abandoned toys and right. it's endless, endless details like that. It, well, it's that technical, um, you know, you mentioned light in there and it's actually, it, this is where it actually dials it back. It's actually quite old school in its approach to a lot of things. And this is why it looks so good. And that's not, you know, when you say taking it old school, that's not a knock at all. It's actually, mm. in many cases, my preferred way to do stuff. Um uh, and and this is a, an argument that did come up upon the unveiling or the reveal of Halo Infinite last year, which you know mm. a lot of people criticised it, and the effort had been put into the you know the the golden hour, the you know the the nice lighting and stuff. And what this yeah. game had done is actually it had a sort of a main area of light for external areas, but actually the lighting and details and shadows were all pre baked onto the textures, so everything yeah. was incredibly hands on. Um, you know, everything has been touched by an artist. It's not something that's put into an engine and then fiddled with to align stuff, you know, like texturally and, and, and model-wise at a later point. It's the textures on those items have already had the ambient occlusion, etc., baked on to really give them that detail of light. But that means that you get no real daylight change. You know, the, the hour, you, you can stand there for five hours and the time isn't yeah. going to change in the game. Yeah, there's but no the real-time mm, clock or Exactly, yeah. And, yeah. and that's because the technical impact of something like that is massive on a game engine. And at times, you know, you question whether it's worth it. It's it's this whole, you know, uh, true 4K resolution. Well, is that actually any better than checkerboarding for the impact on what else you can do? And actually, by not doing this, you know, uh, obviously not ray tracing, but, you know, that would be an example of, of this gen certainly in terms of, you know, real-time lighting and effects and diffusing, by actually removing that from the engine, look at what they could do in that game, and they made something that looks absolutely yeah. unbelievable. I think I think when you look at a company like Naughty Dog, they've clearly mastered the tech, and it's been built over time. You know, Josh has mentioned the rope, which was obviously from Uncharted 4, and they're built on it, and they've spent a long time on that, and they've, they've added that, right. and they've not chased sort of the new kind of, Eaching of technology of of having all these phenomenal um lightings and open world and you know everything has to be open world and searchable now and actually they've they've sort of reined it in a little bit and, and taken full control of those areas and you know it's with video games the broad strokes are the things that that make things you know pretty but it's kind of those micro strokes the true detail in the little things that you may never even see or notice that really adds the majesty and there's very few uh, developers out there that have certainly the, the finances and the time and, and possibly even the craft to the match talent, these yeah. things. Um, but to actually go above and beyond on so many little things that you can go and play the last... We, we could have all played The Last of Us Part Two, and I guarantee we all noticed some little micro-touch in that game that none of the others did. And mm. the, the problem is we can't even necessarily go and speak very specifically about that point because it was such a minute touch and some of the best discourses I've ever seen on The Last of Us Part 2 are on the, you know, 
Easter eggs or gaming touches. And there is stuff in there that even I didn't know. Like you mentioned the start in the snowy area where you'll have um, a body will bleed out and the blood melts the snow based upon the amount of blood in that area because of the heat (laughs) of it. Or when you smash a glass over someone, the glass will smash in a way that those shards stick in the face that you wouldn't even notice necessarily in full-paced combat. But if you break for a photo mode, that detailing is there and that is what makes this game phenomenal from a technical perspective and that attention of detail is absolutely there i think in the audio as well and uh, i was talking to jay about this at the weekend and this is the stuff where it's it's funny because we we jump around in time on the cane and rinse podcast so we'll be talking one week about a game that has you know literally like a hundred sound effects or whatever from from back in the day like you know we'll talk individually about sonic the hedgehog collecting a ring or something like that and then (laughs) you come to a game like this where yeah okay there are some standout effects that you will hear a lot of times like a particular gun firing or whatever but there's also all this incredibly organic and difficult to spot stuff that is just uh i said well i say difficult to spot but maybe maybe goes unappreciated just Mm. how much work is being done in terms of the acoustics of yeah things like the rain the way the way the rain hits different surfaces and the way it changes the acoustics change when you go inside and uh and particularly those kinds of things just the ambient sound being so crucial but also mm. so much of the sound helping you with the gameplay not just uh not just uh with obvious cues and stuff which it does have it uses music to tell you when you're in danger and stuff but also uh and kind of percussion and things to to tell you when enemies have spotted you but yeah um but yes yeah, stuff like the reports of those guns being so epic and yeah. impactful i think a really good comparison for how sound design can really affect the mood and atmosphere uh, of a piece is compare like take two naughty dog games uncharted 4 and and this game Compare the gunshot sound effects between the two. Mm. With Uncharted 4, they're deliberately very poppy, very Hollywood. You know, they're fun sound effects. They're the kind of stuff that you hear in an Indiana Jones movie, right? Whereas The Last of Us, the you know, even though you're not firing the machine gun, the comparison I would bring up is heat. Like you feel the echo, you feel the impact, and it makes these weapons feel dangerous and mm-hmm. scary and not just, you know, you know, toys. It it, it like the, the the and it's subtle, right? It's a psychological thing and only like the best, you know, sound designers can can create and conjure these feelings inside of you. But like the the fact that Naughty Dog has have such a grasp on, you know, both ends of the spectrum, right? They know how to tweak it so that you can feel free to have popcorny fun, but also can bring the terror, can bring the tension when they need to. You'll often your first encounter with an enemy is not to see them, but to hear them have a conversation. And if you're in listen mode, you'll see them, you'll see their white, you know, fuzzy thing get a bit brighter when they're in the middle of a conversation. And similarly, you know, they've spotted you if they start shouting uh, or or if it's going to be a combat encounter where the enemies are more aggressively entering the area. Um, but the, I mean, the verisimilitude of the audio is as, as is important and as well crafted as, as the visuals. Um, but you can also just be still in this game. You can just, if you stand in the the Natural History Museum's main hall, you can just stand there. You can hear 
bird calls and and the foliage sort of in the wind and the ambient music and it's just very very restful and beautiful and you can't hear any repeated stuff particularly um the 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 crafting sound effects are very crisp and clear as well you know when you you've just picked up resources enough to craft something there's just this little click that's just um just perfect and there's plenty of i mean to seek into the music slightly there are plenty of areas with no music that and that's a kind of a crafts craft decision as well that really really suits certain certain parts of the game and actually i decided to turn the audio the music off for a whole play session i actually turned it off at the oh, end of one play session okay forgot i turned it off did the whole of the abbey section with the resident evil boss and a bit before that yeah. and then right at the end i was like oh yeah there was no music and i hadn't even noticed because the sound was mm. so excellent um, yeah. now that's not a knock on the music i uh, i like it a lot to listen to um i think that the person worth talking about most with the music is actually matt quayle who does okay. this kind of Hans zimmer sort of trent reznor and atticus ross dark electronica that you, you'll get in anything from social network or watchmen more recently stuff like that um, or Blade Runner 20, 2049. Mm. That, that, now, you could say it's a bit trendy and actually having that dark, brooding kind of womp, womp stuff mm. maybe gives this game a bit less distinctiveness. Might date it, but um, I think yeah, it works. That as well. For me, it worked. But it definitely, yeah. I mean, ratcheting up the, te- the tension, it is absolutely, you know, pitch perfect. Some of these encounters and some of the more dramatic cutscenes. He Matt Quayle in particular uses these womp, womp, these building pulses and these electronic sound effects that just um yeah, they really yeah, make this game feel pretty um I guess just tense, yeah. There's there isn't really a better mm-hmm. word for it. Very quick shout out, obviously, to the diegetic songs in the game. The I was gonna say, yeah, yeah please do, yeah. The um uh uh what's the band called? Famous grunge rock band um, Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam, uh, the Pearl Jam song yeah. that Joel sings, huge part of the story, an emotional yeah. weight of the story. Um, guitars play a big part. There's a needle drop later on in the Rattler, um, ba- in the kind of final oh, yeah, Rattler yeah, arena yeah. where I think they're playing some really kind of cock rock um, to give yes. you the real sense that you're a kind well, of. It's in- almost it's a bit more grungy actually, but yeah. as I as, as I took it yeah there's uh the the through the valley by sean james which uh is the one that uh, was in the original trailer mm. and uh and ellie's uh, listening to i think on her walkman there's take on me that ellie ellie plays the dina if, yeah if you find it um indeed and, and then there's a fun vinyl that you spin later on when you've got jj so yeah music oh, plays a right. music plays yes. a really important part of the game even if yeah. the soundtrack is quite subtle and moody completely agreed yeah let's talk about actually playing the game uh truck kurt from our forum says i really enjoyed the last of us part two i think they made the gameplay more interesting and satisfying in both stealth and shooting to me this is naughty dog at their technical and storytelling peak having been back to the last of us remastered in the not too distant past i still enjoy playing that game i think uh i think some of the the shortcomings are more apparent now as it's eight years old or whatever, but I still find the moment to moment creeping, sneaking, stealth taking out and shooting to be 
fun and satisfying and exciting and tense and all those things. But I would say, yeah, for my money, they did up up it in this game. Uh, especially, I guess there's there's one thing that was often talked about in the original, and there was that interesting video that looked at the the intended AI for your companion, who of course mainly was Ellie in the first game with you playing as Joel, often doing basically breaking immersion by jumping out over desks and being spotted, <laughs> but not being spotted and all that kind of thing. And for the most part, they've, they've obviously spent a lot of time working on that not happening. Uh, I certainly didn't have it happen so obviously and egregiously so many times. You are often, you although you spend, this game is, uh, we should say, it's about 20, first playthrough took me 27 hours, second took me 25. That was on a harder difficulty setting, but I, I guess I knew the game a bit better by then. It's not short. You spend a lot of it playing solo, but you also spend good chunks of it with either one or two, at some points, companions. Uh, and there's little kind of moments of AI team up and combo where you'll do you'll take down someone and they'll take down another. Not always cut the cutscenes either. Sometimes it's actually in moment to moment. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I I mean I think given that of those 25 hours, yes, there's a lot of story. There's a lot of bits that are pretty much like interactive movie or walking simulator, kind of the scene plays out around you. There are some puzzles and some exploration and some scavenging, but I still would anticipate you spend at least half the amount of time, I'd, maybe half the amount of time in combat. I don't in, think so, because Nakey... Maybe not. Nakey Jakey was saying he played the combat arenas back to back and said there was only three hours 20 he did it in three hours wow 20. now okay i mean yeah i mean whatever that's a completely different person depends how well you play them I guess, yeah. and, and on what difficulty i think i Def find that there's that a lot of time up. spent opening drawers true yes and and some people won't be into that at all i actually find that part quite enjoyable but um <laughs> but i can understand why some people would think that was extremely mundane and, and unengaging un uninspiring gameplay uh okay so yeah all right well let's say a quarter then let's, let's say you spend a quarter <laughs> of the game in combat which is as much as of any other one thing i guess so i uh, yeah does it work for you I, I really enjoy it both as a stealth and as an action game when it goes wrong how about you yeah. folks i think for me and i know some of our correspondence touches on this later on but like for me this is my favorite uh improvement um over the first one is is the level design um mm -hmm. i think um naughty dog recently it, it's not just this game but i think uh, lost legacy experimented with yeah. less um set piece driven level design and more free form let the player do as they want uh style level design and there are several you know there's the one big level um where you get to explore with a horse and there's like multiple objectives and i thought that was that was really fun um and i i kind of wish that they had experimented with that further mm. later on in the game especially as abby doesn't doesn't ever have a section uh, like that but more generally i think the combat arenas are more open to experimentation yeah. you know setting up ambushes laying traps um and the enemy designs support that. I think more so the human um, enemies rather than the um, the cordyceps uh, zombies. Yeah. Um, but um, the human, like the the introduction of dogs, I think is a great. Even though I hate having to kill the dogs, I think they're a really interesting component 
yeah. to especially the stealth because they're fra- they're really fragile, but the damage they do to your uh, you know the, your ability to effectively, you know, take out um, all of the enemies even and hide. Take... Yeah, just stay hidden yeah, because they yeah. can smell you, right? Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a really compelling wrench to throw because in the original Last of Us, I think especially towards the kind of back half of the game against the human human enemies, you kind of got into a set pattern of just you know, uh, take out as many as he can stealthily and then just last one hit with a brick and they're down. <laughs> and there wasn't much there wasn't much stopping you from, you know, enge- executing that plan perfectly. Right. Whereas here, they, there's a real concerted uh, effort to interrupt the, the player's plans. And I think for a game like that, because this isn't a, you know, this isn't a splinter cell, this isn't a you know, Metal Gear Solid, I don't think like a ghost run or a, you know, perfect assassin run is the ideal way of operating in this game. Mm. You want to be constantly on the edge of your seat. Like, I I just escaped and managed to re-engage into stealth from a really sticky situation. You want those cinematic moments to be created by the systems of the game. And I think that yeah, I think generally speaking, The Last of Us Two is a a much stronger, um, a m- better equipped, let's say, it, both mm-hmm. in terms of level design and an enemy design to create those moments. The balance is definitely there a lot more into the point that you're just strong enough. But as you know, Josh said, you, you it's not like a splinter cell or anything. You're never the dominant force in the world. There's always a case of do I keep pushing forwards or do I sit back and recover a bit because you're the one that's surviving in the world? And I think that that balance is is at its absolute best uh, of any of the Naughty Dog games. Now, I've never been the biggest fan of the combat, and I think that The Last of Us was pretty good. Having gone through Uncharted 4 again very recently, there's still flaws in the combat. Um, but The Last of Us Part Two definitely feels like it's the sharpest. So when you actually need to rely on your need to engage in combat, yeah, either 100%. via stealth or melee or shooting, it doesn't feel like oh, I'll. You, you, I never felt like I had to restart from a checkpoint just to do a bit more stealthing through the area. I was like, right, okay, I can engage in this. I can do this little bit, and then I'll I'll hide back to cover and I'll wait and I'll watch the mapping of where enemies are and stuff and then I'll take the next step and that's great because I've and I know that um, James from from our podcast is very very similar and if something goes slightly wrong it's right okay restart checkpoint we'll, we'll get that a perfect run mm. and, it, and it feels like if you've got a perfect run it would detract from the quality of what The Last of Us Part 2 brings it, it's it's worth saying that this game has what is it six or five or six or seven difficulty levels and it it will change your experience dramatically depending on which one you select worth mentioning abby has a fairly different loadout doesn't she what did you guys think about you know no prox mines but um and you have to get shivs and stuff like that I mean, I I think they need because uh, the game is long, and I'm sure we'll get into this. Um, I think it was necessary that they they force the player to change it up a little bit because I think playing as Ellie with that kind of mode of play for the full, you know, twenty five thirty odd hours of this experience would grate quickly, and I I think to a degree the gameplay 
starts to grate, especially towards the like last quarter. Um, but I think, yeah, it, it it's that change of pace and that change of focus on what what um, you know Abby is good at versus what Ellie is good at is absolutely necessary to to keep you engaged for the for the full length of the game. I felt a bit disappointed. Uh, and I remember thinking all the way back to Left Behind, um, the encounters where it mixes uh, clickers and humans, thinking, oh, I bet they could really mix this up the next game. And the encounters where that happens, it's I, I, I think of those encounters quite well, but they are a bit gimmicky, actually. It's just kind of this hilarious thing, setting <laughs> setting the clickers on, you know, army dudes or whatever. Yeah, I love it. But I do feel like they missed the trick. I feel like there was a lack of ambition here, that there weren't more situations where you could lure, um, you know, infected into areas to kind of help you out. I feel like just, yeah, just maybe they could have gone further in that direction. I feel that's very hard to do, though, because the whole game is set out from the very start that certain areas are patrolled and whether it's by your team or whether it's by Abby, well, I say your team at the start of the game, Ellie's team or by Abby's team, the whole point is that they've got restricted areas. So the odds of you actually having humans versus clickers versus you essentially in a big combat area should be slim because the game pretty much sets out that that is not really a thing anymore because things are far more organized. But that's kind of a backwards justification though, isn't it? Can't you just write that that's the case to cover yeah, the fact that Yeah, I think you... you could, yeah. And there, but there are there are a number of scenarios. Obviously there's the one right at the end with the the slavers camp where they're actually chaining down clickers and you can let yeah. them let them loose in the camp and stuff like that. I think I mean I do think it's fair to say that the game generally is less interested in the infected Maybe not in terms of gameplay, but in terms of the story side of things. Mm. I think they are just kind of a component of the world. That's completely how all modern, maybe not all, that's a massively sweeping statement. A lot of successful modern zombie fiction is, the the whole point is to put people in in a situation and then see what happens to the people, right? Walking Dead, Yeah, I, I guess because... I suppose what I mean by that is in the original Last of Us, the world is still at a stage where every, you know, every aspect of people's lives, um, even the interior world, is impacted by the existence of these monsters. Whereas, you like, Jackson has the wall and they have the patrols, but the life inside of Jackson is pretty much like a rural town in America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I I think what I mean by that is that um, they're less interested in how the infected kind of impact the characters more broadly, and they are way way more yeah. like the the decision like the major story de- uh, you know decision that happens at the end of The Last of Us, uh, the original is entirely to do with do you value you know do you value this person's life more than fighting this disease? Whereas the thematic core of The Last of Us 2 is not actually to do with the disease at all. Yeah. Um, um, and I think that's interesting. And I do think that bleeds through a little bit in, in terms of the, the, the moments with the, cause I like the, we're kind of 
veering towards this territory, so we might as well talk about it now. There is like a big boss encounter with a special infected, which I yes. think is probably the weakest part of the game uh, mm. in terms of gameplay. I think it's going for something very Resident Evil-esque, but I just don't think it has that kind of RE2 level of kind of uh, sophistication Rocket in terms launches. of design. <laughs> well, I know, yeah, Resident <laughs> Evil is very, very silly and tonally very, very different, but I just think if this was in a resi game this this kind of pursuer enemy would feel more fun and feel more engaging whereas here it felt really frustrating and it and and as a storytelling element as well you could as much as there's some really valuable atmosphere and um tension on the lead up and and the art direction and everything is great you could take the Rat King entirely out of the plot and it would have zero yeah. impact. And we'll get okay. to that argument very shortly, I'm sure. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're there. I mean, that's that. Yeah, I, I wanted to mention the Rat King. My initial, on my initial playthrough, I thought that's like something out of Resident Evil and weirdly out of place. Uh, looked into the, the sort of the origin, the idea behind it. Uh, I I had seen this sort of, I had read about these rat supposed rat kings before there's some great pictures on the internet and it's a fun it's a fun notion uh the rat king is a super organism composed of multiple stalkers clickers and a bloater that have been connected together by the cordyceps fungus given nora's comments it appears that the rat king is made up of some of the first people ever to be infected by cbi in seattle meaning it developed into this state from over 20 years of infection oh. it appears to have been formed by being sealed in a room filled with spores that as the fungal growth bloomed and spread the infected were merged into each other that's from imdb and so yeah it's a fun idea but it did it did feel like yeah I, everyone says it i think everyone i've heard it's like a bit of resident evil stuck into the last of us it yeah. doesn't actually other than showing what we already kind of know which is that abby is a badass um it doesn't it doesn't change anything but i do like the bit where if you use listen mode if you have it available to you you can actually see the entire thing through the wall <laughs> the entire outline <laughs> of it before you've been introduced to it and you're like holy moly I what is that going to be i do like the approach where you crawl through the ambulance essentially to get there that felt that felt really um, in place and and tonally accurate to the intent of the game with, you know, how on edge that game can make you feel. But then the actual combat fight itself feels very much like um, how I feel about the the first bloater fight that you have in The Last of Us Part 1 in the high school, yeah. for example. And I didn't like yeah. that fight either. So. To, no. to, um, to switch to another boss, how do we feel about the Ellie boss fight as abby because i found that i mean it's a really cool thing on the one hand to see ellie being awesome yeah. and fast and deadly however yeah. I, the major problem with that is if you get caught by her and just like shotgunned in the face you're kind of like yeah. well the game's you know that should be the end of the game ellie wins <laughs> you know go home it feels really yeah. jarring um to have you know that be like a point of like no repeat this nope do it again nope do it again do, do you know what i mean like this epic story there's all this mirroring and stuff and yet this one boss fight suddenly it comes and, th and that goes a little bit for the fight right at the end as well where you yes. you lose to abby 
But as no, do that bit again. No, you can't lose because we're telling our story. Yeah, I guess I guess I can see that. Uh, it, it just I never died during those sections, so <laughs> well, I, I well. didn't. Um, I no, this isn't me getting get gooding it's just my personal um, experience <laughs> yeah, um, it, it, it because the illusion let's say was maintained in, in my playthrough yeah those those moments were easily like the first one especially but I, i'm going to make an argument i know the second one is divisive but i'll make my argument for the second one in the story section yeah. um but um, I think the Abby versus Ellie fight, the first one, is an incredible magic trick that the game pulls mm -hmm. off. And yeah. I think is Naughty Dog demonstrating a grasp of gameplayer storytelling yes. that I don't think they have previously. That's not like, don't get me wrong. I think, you know, Naughty Dog have made some amazing storytelling moments and, um, you know, they've done some great gameplay set pieces. But the feeling I had during that Abby, that first Abby Ellie fight, is I've not, I genuinely have not felt that way in a game ever before, where every action the character I was controlling wanted to make repulsed me to my core. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, but while also being entirely invested in her struggle as well. Yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, and um, it's something, you know, again, like Naughty Dog get accused of, well, they do things that are, you know, novel to games, but, you know, it's been done in film, you know, loads and loads of times and done in novels, loads and loads of times. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, like this dynamic of your equal, like heat and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many films where you're equally invested in both parties and the struggle. But to, but I cannot undersell how being in control of one of those characters dramatically transforms that experience. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it makes it something very intimate and raw um, that I like, if there was one thing in this game that I would point to and go, that's special, that's unique. And that's um, like the last of us twos, um, you know, that's the last of us twos trick. Mm. It's this moment. Uh, and there's a couple of other fights that I wanted to mention less serious and less uh, significant I suppose but there's a couple of fights where you're effectively thrown into a kind of mano a mano with a with a heavy from another faction or two including a there's a, a fully kind of cinematic staged affair later on with uh, with Abby escaping the the Seraphites village and is ends up in a in a one-on-one -on -one without her pack with uh, with a basically a big guy and this is kind of this is going against what i was just saying because here's this guy who is almost a match for her uh but um how, how do you feel about the gameplay on those that that does that is those are like they're really i think they're you know very visceral very very impactful the violence is wincing uh and and all that kind of thing but the actual gameplay of sort of stabbing at l1 to dodge and then just timing your button presses it feels you know it's a bit it's a bit punch out it feels a bit um Basic. a bit reductive compared to some of the game mm. so th they feel like they're almost the full stops to a section so uh, when the, the pacing of everything's been happening it's it, it's a break in combat so it's not just another fight like the other fights that you've been having so i appreciate that kind of change in tempo the change in structure but obviously 
it's still important to survive in those moments. But once they're over, it's almost like a you know a, a deep breath out and kind of a slight relax for the next section. And I appreciate that from a pacing perspective, um, particularly as someone who, when they get intense moments, genuinely holds the breath to the point <laughs> that they don't realize they're doing it and starts gasping. So um, for the, for those moments, I actually quite enjoyed them, even though I acknowledge that they are incredibly basic. In fact, you know, as you said, Leon, they're probably the most reductive fights that you can actually have in the game. Uh, the impact and the pacing of them is something that I actually appreciated, as well as obviously the intense violence um, and, yeah. and visceral nature of them as well. I think yeah. for me, like I, I didn't mind the, um, uh, I didn't actively dislike them, but I think the Last of Us is, um, but this is this goes for the first game and and the sequel. I think it's at its best when it kind of feels like a slightly more lenient um yeah 3d hotline miami where <laughs> the lethality is uh intense for both parties it's intense for you but it's also intense for the opposition um and those like quick bursts of violence that you know uh, you know pause for stealth and and like I think that's when the game is at its strongest. Yeah. The more kind of extended brawls end up feeling like something out of Uncharted. And they feel of a piece of Uncharted because Uncharted is basically uh, that that scene from Indiana Jones with the big Nazi, uh, you know, repeated <laughs> multiple, that's mo- a really multiple good point, times. Yeah. Um, whereas, you know, this is going for something... Um, much more uh, immediate and threatening and i think those enemies undercut that feeling slightly but not they're you know they're fun enough yeah personally as a as a kind of quote unquote boss fight i much prefer the sniper sniper stuff in these games so the sniper section with tommy kind of feels like Mm. a boss fight like extended boss fight uses different gameplay mechanics stealth uses infected in there um, and builds to this crescendo, and that's for me when it's kind of the games that it's best. Not just the you know, the the brawl at the end of Scar Scar Island. It looks cool, but the violence is just. The guy has his like face slit open. She stabs yeah. him in the neck and in the eye, and it's just disgusting. And it's not teaching me anything about war or violence. It feels really gratuitous and over the top, personally. Yeah, that's what I was kind of asking about that one, because as much as I am very okay with a lot of the violence in this game and its purpose, I did think that that one felt like I, I, I've i read and heard a lot of accusations of, you know, misery porn and torture porn and, and that for this game. And I think that's that's kind of, yeah, that's, a, that's reductive to me. But uh, but that fight in particular did feel like it was it was it felt like it was some, out of something that was a bit less high minded and a bit a bit more schlocky. I understand why people would be disappointed, frustrated, put off, um, or disturbed by those scenes. Um, and I'm not a violent person by nature, but I really liked the fact that the game went there and was and was willing to take that risk of having that violence because it's not so much the actions or being a part of those actions that happen for me. 
it's the idea that it showed that these things happen in this world whether you're watching it or not and they are the actions that shape these people to have the character traits that they have in terms of the need to survive and push forwards and push through this stuff and that's why certain characters have a real edge to them of you know putting survival first over others an unwillingness to make friends in case they lose them and and the difficulties that exist around the things that shape them to be the people that they are and for me that's mm-hmm. the stuff that visibly shows the impact on the characters and their personalities old bailey on this from the forum says mechanically part two has nothing to say about violence we're to suspend our disbelief as the body count racks up well into the hundreds the only violence that matters occurring during scripted sequences or cutscenes. The scores of people you killed for fun along the way. I'd take issue with the words for fun in there. The, well, the phrase ludonarrative dissonance has become something of a meme, says Old Bailey, but I've never felt it so keenly as I did here. And I, and I will concur to an extent with this. The game that actually I was thinking of that, while I'm not going to pretend I didn't enjoy the incredibly brutal firefights, I was aware that I was gunning down multiple people on the way to these story encounters. And the game tries quite hard to make you realise that every one of these people is another human being with friends and family, um, almost to a comical degree at point with the uh, with with their uh, squad mates and, and patrol mates and whatever shouting out, you know, Ethan or you know, Margaret um and stuff like this uh but i i do agree that that uh that there is a massive disparity between like if you kill someone in a cutscene it's awful and dark and horrific and a murder whereas in gameplay it's it's just a it's just a bit of fun it's part of the game i i think that is a problem and the game that i was thinking about was actually the one that we covered years ago um and what's it called? The Ubisoft downloadable one that uh, that's... Uh, I Am Alive. Near... I Am Alive, yeah. Because that was a game that I think was going more for the... To try to make every kind of bullet in that game a significant one, right? Now, I didn't finish it, so I've only heard the podcast on it. Um, but I played I played enough of it to sort of get the sense that they want... They really were trying to make a game where you weren't going to gun through like 50 or 100 or 100 and. 250 people to get to a final boss that was somehow more important than all those i think the idea was that you were in a world where yeah even if you, if you fired the gun one time and killed one person that would be a significant that would have a significant effect on your person uh, mm. i mean yeah uh, we're all going to have different feelings about this but how, how do how does one square that off in their mind i think that 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 comment is i think totally fair i think you know, in a movie that would depict violence in a similar fashion, yeah. um, it would be uh, solely for moments that had purpose and mm-hmm. were, yeah. you know, informing the narrative directly. And I think that there is something to be said about the amount of violence against people who have no impact on the plot whatsoever. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I... And maybe there's a way of making the game where there isn't a body count in the thousands by the end of it. But mm. um, the actual depiction of violence itself, like the the get the game wants guns to be scary. The game wants, um, you know, 
the impact of knives, the impact of hammers, everything. It wants you to feel terrible about what you're doing. And most of the time it worked on me. Like I like especially with Ellie, where increasingly her motivation is not one that I sympathize with. Right. Um like every person I killed was like a colossi in Shadow of the Colossus. And mm -hmm. I if they didn't depict it with the severity that they did, I don't know if I would feel that. I would just sure. see them as targets I guess on the battlefield. This comes to kind of like my deepest disappointment, I think, with the game. This is the second mainline Naughty Dog game in a row about people who are so blindly obsessed by something that they're willing to travel to other people's places and cold-bloodedly murder scores of them uh, in the sort of selfish and suicidal pursuit of that thing. It's Because... Uh, Uncharted 4, you know, arguably is the same, you know, Nathan Drake is obsessed with this thing and he can't give it up. And um, there's something to be said about being obsessed by achieving a goal and crunch culture <laughs> at AAA Studio. But, you know, the language of this game is like the word cluck, with, starting with an F, and brutal murder. Those are the things that kind of occur again and again and again. And even, you know, it comments on itself. Like Dina says, everyone in this city is an effing psycho. And she's talking about the wolves and the scars. But of course, you know, if you're listening, you're kind of like, well, yeah, but Ellie too. Because Ellie is a genocidal maniac who, um, I don't know, I just, yeah, by the end of the second playthrough, I don't, I feel Ellie's just killed so many people in such brutal ways. Yeah. Now, you could I say think... the world justifies it. and. They comment on it on like her and Tommy are kind of slightly enjoying sniping infected from across a ravine uh, under the guise of like clearing places out for everyone's survival, but also enjoying having a bit of target practice on living creatures. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Yes, there's a high body count. And yes, it's potentially masked under the story of doing it, but you know, at the same time, I understand the world around it. You know, we know that Ellie is looking for a purpose in her life because she feels like she's missed what she had. And we know that Abby has a purpose in her life, which is, you know, revenge. And, and they're the drivers and they will do anything to get to get to it because that's all they have in their lives is that is that absolute drive and focus for that. And that pushes a high part of the body counts. Absolutely. Is it a lot of is it too many? Well, out. You know, I would hazard to guess if you had a lot less combat, people would say, "Oh, it's a draw opening simulator mm. or something like that." Like the, yeah. There's the, there is a for me an equal blend between combat and exploration and doing everything else. For me, the balance is absolutely nailed on to my tastes. It is and a for part me of that as is a, the combat as 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 in terms of a fun game to play. But I also th I, I can understand other people's arguments that the game could be you could massively slash the body count pardon the pun and also you know the game one of the main criticisms against the game is its length Th both those things could kind of go together and uh and it, it could have been more of a an exploration on it it, it could have done less to contradict itself mm. put it that way on reflection i think i would have preferred to see more of jackson spend more time in jackson i want to see how ellie and dina's relationship develops in jackson and they go out on patrols and violence happens and they need mm. to survive and protect what they have. 
but not this like murderous revenge death march in the end. I, I would have, you know, there's a note in the synagogue. The rabbi, the rabbi says, you know, it takes but one candle to dispel the darkness. There's, there's like tiny allusions to kind of there could be some hope about society and how humans treat each other, or yeah. contrasting yeah. those things. But there's so little hope in this game and there's so little of what brings people together. Yeah. It's all just window dressing. Yeah. You walk through Wolf Stadium, you see classrooms full of children, but you don't ever stop to kind of think about how to raise children in this world or whatever. I have seen bleaker stuff than this game. Yeah. Um, and like, I think this game, especially on the note it ends on um, and... Um, a couple of moments dotted throughout, and especially Abby, Abby's journey, at least her character um, development, there are moments of humanity and there are moments of hope. And I think there Absolutely. are media that play in this space that are way, way more cynical. Um, and and for, for, to be frank, The Last of Us 2 doesn't really rate on on that scale for me uh, it's bleak it, don't get me wrong it is bleak um and it and there are sections of it that are, are miserable yeah. and brutal um but especially in the zombie apoc- uh, maybe not just zombies but apocalyptic fiction mm. full stop this this does end on a somewhat you know you know not entirely positive but there is like a flicker of things could sure. be better yeah, I yeah. would agree with that. And uh, I've, again, it's something I've seen and read that you know there is no levity or or humanity in this game, and I just fundamentally did not experience that. There, it is again completely not denying. It is incredibly dark. It's violent. It's brutal. It has horrible things in it. You do horrible things as a player if you continue to play the game, although you have that choice not to do that. Um, but I, th- I always think like I totally. Tom, you're you're completely, you know, you you have, um, you know, it sounds like you have a different game set in this world in your mind that you'd like you'd rather play, and that's completely fine. And I'm glad you're on the show because of that, because it sounds like the rest of us are, are more on the on the sort of positive side. But but for, I always come to it for, from the point of view of thinking, well, that story was never going to be told because that isn't the story that they wanted to write. Um, that this is the story of hatred and revenge that that is what this is and and its consequences and violence beget, begets violence and all that kind of stuff and yeah it's it's been told before no story hasn't um but yeah i don't know i mean we'll see if there's more do we need more games set in this world we we have a lot of kind of post apocalyptic games we have a game in in days gone where you effectively kind of do the the day-to-day clearing out zombie camp stuff um and i found that game quite entertaining so yeah um, you have a game in horizon zero dawn which is uh, okay sci-fi fantasy in, in very a way different, yeah but it's still about tone. a post-apocalypse yeah. and it just strikes a more upbeat tone and sure. it, it is about societies that fight but also and people that that help each other <laughs> absolutely <laughs> you know? clearly some people are going to prefer that kind of take on it, things. it's not that it's uh, not the and, game i would rather have played it's the game i wish that they had brought their production values to huh. bear on uh, would have been more well, valuable no, to i me. really don't uh, yeah no i mean and again totally not dismissing that or saying you're not entitled to that opinion but to me that's like no that that's totally the, the idea that they could have made or would have made something else now seems completely anathemic to to, to what to the, to this incredible experience that i had 
the fact is that the the decision that Joel made at the end of the first game is still being debated and discussed. Yeah, yeah. Eight years on, because it is it is an unanswerable question, and some but people are incredibly divided on it. Uh, it's it's a profound one. There is, you know, arguably, yeah. There's no, there's no definitive answer, but it informs that the decision that he made is responsible for everything that happens in this game. I certainly always saw it as, and again, this is through my lens. I saw Neil Druckmann seeing those takes on the first game, which was that well, Joel did the right thing. Of course, he did. <laughs> Ellie was like his daughter. He had to save her because he's a parent, and I'm a parent, and I know how that feels. Um, I felt like this whole story was Neil Druckmann saying, uh, I think you missed the fact that Joel's the bad guy in this this story. This isn't a problem that's exclusive to The Last of Us, unfortunately. No, exactly. Um, Like uh, Breaking Bad has suffered this, um, unfortunately, as well. Um, uh, Rorschach in Watchmen. um, Tyler Durden in Fight Club. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There are a ton of characters that because the audience finds the performance charismatic and the um, you know you're written to some degree to have a, a you know a you know a bit of attachment yeah. towards so the you character. can understand them as a human that's yeah, yeah. To, for them to be more than just a two-dimensional villain for them to be a complicated character but unfortunately I think for some people you view someone as human and then you just can't not take yeah, their perspective and i think maybe in a game it's even more so because yeah. you've played as them you, for the yeah. 12 or 15 hours or whatever you played the last of us for for massive fans of that game they played as joel and ellie for multiple playthroughs they became more and more attached those performances by troy baker and ashley johnson so strong and it's just uh too much to take there now is... i feel that way about those characters because i played that game too and i loved that game but I was just as happy to see where they took it in this game. Mm. And, mm. but obviously I, I was also one of those people that came away from the first game thinking, what the hell did you do, Joel? Yeah. I, I think it goes, be, I, I think it goes beyond any, it's not just morality. Cause the other character I was just thinking of where you just ca- you can't make that excuse for mm-hmm. is how many people really like, yeah the joker yeah you're totally right that's what i was about to say like the joker is uh (laughs) inarguably you know just the way he's like joel is a complicated like joel is much closer to a walter white where you're meant to be conflicted you're meant to be um morally torn the joker on the other hand it's not meant to uh elicit that kind of response but because the performances of the that character have been generally great and people beguiling a attractive character yeah, isn't it? Yeah. and it's it's the same situation right. with joel like yeah. Tro- troy baker's performance is impeccable as joel and he's an incredible ca- you know, whatever you think of his decisions and his actions it is a great character yeah. i actually think um, he he i think that the beginning part of the game is slow and it takes a long yeah. time but i really like it i really like every choice they made and i think this game is too yeah. long and i have an argument to make about that but i'll say that everything up to I don't joel, uh, everything up to, be, to joel yeah. getting butchered is done really really well the opening on him and tommy recapping the first game brilliant way to start but also tommy is like you know blowing out his cheeks at the story so you get immediately yeah. that kind of wow joel holy moly man what did you do so you get that immediate judgment of him. 
and that's great and you and they also put you in abby's shoes really early um and there's just so much clever subtle subtle stuff going on that that when abby first hears joel's name she just does this tiny little look at him and you know it's one of the more subtle things Mm. uh, performance things in the game okay you could argue it's not that subtle but but it's great all the same Mark FM 007 from the forum says, I loved how the consequences of the first game were explored. I also appreciated the look at how each community functions and shapes its members' outlook. The push-pull between love and responsibility, survival and selfishness. The game has pacing issues, an overabundance of less interesting side characters and side stories, and drop plot elements. Some significant relationships feel underdeveloped. These elements led to some frustration on my first playthrough. Time spent with Joel, Dina, Lev and Owen are where Naughty Dog shows their strength in building relationships through gameplay, exploration and cutscenes. As I alluded to earlier, there was a quote from Neil Druckmann saying, while the first game was about love, this game will be about hate. Obviously, that's just a bite size and pithy uh, thing. And um, I think there's I think there's more to it than that. Uh, Hatred, revenge and obsession. Violence, breeding violence, of course, being an obvious one. Um, but there's also the the other reading that Ellie has some kind of death wish. And I'm not sure about this because, again, she kills hundreds on her way through. And the way that her general personality, even in her journal and the way that her relationship with Dina develops, she doesn't seem like a, a depressed nihilist to me. She She seems like somebody who... She's obviously, you know, messed up because of what's happened to her her whole life and the fact that she's this unique person as far as we know uh, and and what happened with Joel. But uh, I'm not sure I quite buy into the reading. Yeah. So I buy into that a little bit, but not maybe Mm -hmm. not in the way that you framed it. Um, She outright says at one point, and and maybe I'm paraphrasing here a a little Mm. bit, but I remember the line, I should have died on that table. That's right. Um, And... She has survivor's guilt for sure because yeah. she, she and my reading of the first game, which which feeds into my feeling that Joel is you know absolutely wrong. Is she knew that she was going to die? Um, like the lead up to the draft scene where she's all depressed. For me, I, I maybe I read it differently now in the context of the second game, but at the time on on first playthrough. Um, or at least in retrospect of that first playthrough, I saw that as her kind of like coming to terms with the fact that she was coming to the end of her life when the, mm-hmm. you know they're about to reach the destination, yeah. and Joel ripped that away from her. She chose to sacrifice her life to save humanity, and Joel stole that mm-hmm. from her. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like to a degree, that would drive you know drive someone to. Yeah. be you know completely um apathetic towards their own well-being i do think that the other key motivation is that you know it's revealed right 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 at the end of the game um but she was at a point in her relationship with joel where she was willing to open the door to forgiveness that's it yeah yeah, and and, and that was abby, ripped away from her abby takes does that, away that from justify her? becoming a serial killer no, it doesn't. No, <laughs> it absolutely all. doesn't. And I don't think that's the point of the game. In fact, I feel strongly that the decisions that, um, like the the two characters, are both on the same journey, 
but Abby is further along in her journey than Ellie is. And we yeah. don't get to see how Ellie's journey concludes in the way that we do get to see with Abby. Abby realizes through her campaign that what she did did nothing for her. Mm. She's still, still dissatisfied, still um, sad and depressed about her situation. The thing that gives her fulfillment and gives her life purpose is actually forgiving somebody that she viewed her as her em- enemy actually mm. opening the door to not you know engaging with violence with a group of people she had mm. viewed as the enemy ellie is goes on this murder spree and and realizes that she got nothing from it she goes to kill abby a second time and realizes halfway through killing her I'm still not getting anything from this. And the only way I'm going to move past this is if I just let it go so entirely. It's the scene where they have the baby and, uh, oh no, the baby's asleep upstairs. Or the scene where she decides to leave Dina behind with the baby and still is such an addict of revenge and violence that she has to travel to somewhere on a rumour, you know, on a suicidal mission. I mean, I mean, believe me, I didn't want her to do it, but I don't think you've got any particular more. I understand why they know, do it. You know, of... I understand why they do it. But, but the cynic in me is like, oh, well, they built this whole Santa Barbara section, so we've got to keep it in the game. So we need a reason to do it. And then we'll cover mm, it up with no, really brilliant. I'm not buying we'll that. Cover it. Yeah, like I say, cynical. We'll cover it up with brilliant script writing and brilliant acting. Dina, the actor that plays Dina and, and Tommy as well. Um, not to say that um, uh, um, the, the lady who plays Ellie isn't brilliant as well, but I thought Tommy and Dina especially really, really sell sell that. However, it just like ripped mm-hmm. my heart out and left me feeling quite cynical about it, to be honest. I guess I'm a product of the media that I've watched and the, and the media that I've consumed. Like the stuff that happens in The Last of Us 2 in terms of character decisions doesn't it's grim and it's hard to stomach and it's hard to take this is not this is not i mean slight spoilers for you know breaking bad i guess but this is not walter white poisoning a child to manipulate somebody um this is not that um like there's i think there is a degree of I can understand why these characters make the decisions that they make in this game, um, even if I every fibre of my being would not do that myself and know that it's wrong for them and wrong for everyone in their lives. And ultimately, the, the thing that's important for me as a, as a consumer of this art is I know that the people who made the game know that too. Mm. Like, the the way that things are framed, the way that characters' decisions are framed, Ellie is not a sympathetic character in this story. Ellie's decisions are not framed as sympathetic. Her, her The only action where the game is on side with her um, is the very last decision she makes to let Abby go. Yeah that's the decision where the game goes you made the right call and it's framed just so and if the game if if i felt throughout this game that at any point ellie's actions were being framed as noble or being framed as honorable or justified that Mm. is where my moral revulsion would come in yeah 
for me, it's all about framing and it's all about what the intent of the artist is. And I never at any point felt like the artists were saying this is good. They were all they were always saying that this. Yeah. Beyond that, though, these decisions are like they're just incredibly short sighted. They're incredibly selfish and short sighted. And I just something more nuanced, something about the society, the interdependence of people. Something about living in Jackson, Tommy being the partner of the leader of Jackson and about the selfishness of his and the short sightedness of his decisions. These suicidal, you know, um, revenge missions or whatever. They just it just keeps happening, keeps happening in this game. And so the game is just a string of selfish, short sighted decisions. But you're but they're also trying to make bigger points about society and cycles of violence in really complex real world situations like Israel, um, Palestine or, you know, with war with the scars and the WF. So do you see what I mean? So like having the central thread of the story being about incredibly short sighted and selfish decisions and yet also alluding to much bigger kind of societal shifts and violence and um, those things don't quite marry up to me. And I don't. But I, but Ellie Ellie is the character who because Abby's journey as the second half of the game is a redemption story. And I love me. just like, to put it clear, I really really enjoy Abby's art. I really thought it was yeah. But that that feeds into because my view of the game is these are two characters at different points on the same journey. The problem with Ellie's arc in this game is it stops at the point at which Abby's arc begins. Um, She has that moment of realization that we see come to fruition through Abby's arc. Now. To me, I don't need to see Ellie go through the recovery because I've effectively already seen it through the the, me- the mechanisms of the second half of the plot. We know what's going to happen to her, n- not, you know, in detail, whatever, but at least the, the through line, the understanding of what this realisation is going to do to her yeah. long term, we know what's going to happen. So it can end on that bitter- bittersweet note of, is Dina gone forever or is there a chance that, you know, they can get back together? We don't know for sure. There's something to be said about enablers, isn't there, in this story? Like, Dina enables Ellie to go on Mm. the first worst part of the revenge. But all of those people who enabled Abby to actually go on the mission to find Joel and there's some subtle stuff happening there with the people who enable them or, in Tommy's case, like, actively coax them on. Hmm. Gadget 8-bit singing from perhaps a similar sort of hymn sheet to Thomas's uh, on the forum says, I adored the original game, playing it multiple times across two generations, but with part two, I just couldn't. I managed to get about 10 hours into the game and I simply couldn't carry on with it. It was the storytelling that pushed me away, the unrelenting bleakness of the narrative in 2020 of all years was just too much to take for me. The escalating levels of unnecessary violence with little emotional impact or consequence became genuinely upsetting. There's a scene shortly after arriving in Seattle where Ellie and Dina are knocked off their horse by an IED. The sound of the injured animal braying and moaning, then the image of a sub-antagonist casually shooting it in the head sealed it for me. That's one of the most upsetting things I've seen in a game. It's always the animals that get to people, right? <laughs> it's always the dog and the horse. Well, it's the dog. Don't care I mean, about the, the dog people. in the aquarium. I, I failed yes. that. I switched the, the 
the button tap to a button hold and I, I wasn't holding it right for some reason or whatever. So the dog kept mauling me to mm. death. But you have to go back. You have to go Bad back Alice. until you stab the dog in the neck. And it's like, just make mm. it a cut scene at that point. If that's what's going to happen in the story, just get on with it. Don't make me, don't make me stab the dog yeah. in the neck. That's an interesting, interesting uh, decision they made with a few of those. Yeah. Uh, they want to make the player implicit in the violence. It, well, it happens with Mel just a few moments later. Mm. And that the whole mirroring of the pregnancies as well. It's oh, just nasty business. It's a very nasty business. I don't think anyone would deny that. <laughs> <laughs> Old Peck from the forum, though, says, if the game had a, ha- has a lesson, then I don't think it's just a trite violence is bad. For me, it offers an opportunity to consider how our own traumas big or small, might drive us and how we might be better off if we had better insight into what that means for how we live our lives. This is the thing that I latched onto with The Last of Us 2 because I got a bit frustrated with, um, you know, er, you know, again, with the caveat, er, everyone's entitled to their own view, etc., etc. But I did get a bit frustrated at the... Um, the views of this game as being only about the cycle of violence and only about revenge because I feel like the entire second half of the game is not about that at all. I think Ellie's arc is entirely about that. Mm -hmm. Abby's arc is about, and is about forgiveness is about getting the help that you, or not the help in Abby's case, but kind of understanding what you need to find fulfillment in your life and she to gets find over a, enormous baked in prejudice yeah uh, she learns all about uh, another kind of sort of obsession and religion and faith with with yara and lev there's there's a lot there's a lot of stuff going on in in abby's half uh and yes she was motivated for revenge but that that part of her story was told earlier in the game hmm Eterno from the forum says, I dislike how Naughty Dog wants you wants to make you be an active player in key scenes while delivering a cinematic heavy game. I'm referring to the infamous kill the doctor one at the end of the first game and in part two, where they make you press square so Ellie can torture and kill Nora in that bloody cinematic. To me, these should be cinematics and not gameplay. The fact that they did the same trick again and this time with a character that I could not understand or relate to at all really made me dislike the game. I hate how they give you control only to press a button through a cinematic you cannot change in any way. If you give me control, then give me a choice. Otherwise, I feel robbed as a player and forced into doing something I disagree with. While I enjoy watching the over t- over-the-top fatalities in Mortal Kombat, I would hate it if they made me press square during each step of it. I'd never do them. So sort of echoing what Thomas was saying. Um, I don't know. I guess I don't don't agree with... I respect the opinion expressed. I guess I don't... I don't view art in that way. Like, I'm not having a pleasant experience watching Schindler's List, but I do feel like it's a valuable one. Right. Um, And I feel like being forced and challenged to face uglier things mm-hmm. is important. But this is a fictional world. It's the, a fictional future. It's not about the 
but the, historical. But, well, <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, maybe Schindler's List is a poor <laughs> sorry, example. Sorry, man. Sorry. Right, but like, like, okay. Let's say the road, which is completely fictional and probably a better example. Yeah. What I mean by that is, I'm not like I don't view art as purely a mechanism of, um, like Fun, exploring catharsis, right? right. I. Yeah. Both, you know, both in terms of like, um, you know, like the in the Hollywood sense of that word, but also in the dramatic sense of that word. I think there is definitely a place for, like, you know, challenging the player, feeling bad, to feel bad stuff. and yeah. feel feel a moment of awfulness. Like yeah. Papers Please is like like uh, like. I think Papers Please is example. an incredibly important piece of work because it puts you in the shoes of somebody in an, a terrible situation and and it is you know over the top it is exaggerated but it gives you a taste of that and it opens your eyes to ways of thinking about the world you wouldn't be otherwise and if you if you refuse to eat, eat your vegetables you'll never you'll never appreciate yeah. the mashed potato but even, even with that um, example that is set in a fictional world that is still kind of could be mapped onto a real state. And also, it's the horror of mundane bureaucracy in that game. But I that's the, that's the thing. Like... This is This is a fictional world. This is, you know, a completely fictional story that's... But everything, everything in it can be mapped onto... Like, there's no work of fiction that exists that doesn't have some allegorical... Yeah. or or you know mm. context that is informed by the real world and like let you know there's no way that like the the central conflict of this game between the two major factions there's no way that that's not informed by real world events um that you know is it explored I think the satisfactorily game... though or is it just no a backdrop? it's not i don't th i think if if i was going to levy a criticism at the game I do think the conflict between the Seraphites and the wolves is kind of treated as set dressing and is not mm. explored thoroughly. Uh, I I am satisfied with the way the character, the the kind of the the arc of Abby and um, Ellie is resolved. Um, but like even that, like okay, I confess that 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 section of the game maybe doesn't. Um, hit what it needs to hit but i do think the conflict between ellie and abby hits on real world stuff but maybe not in the context that it's depicted in here but there are plenty of relationships between um murderers and their victims that have played out like this in the real world on a lighter note john cheatham from the forum says if this was a ps1 era game Maybe it would have come with Abby and Ellie discs. That would have been fun. <laughs> uh, Quiet Paul from the forum says, the flashback to Ellie's birthday when Joel takes her to the museum is easily my favourite part of both the games and a breath of fresh air in an otherwise dreek world. I used photo mode countless times during this section. Mm. T-Bone254 says, something that all entertainment media are guilty of is the poor characterization of capable women. It frustrates me so much to see portrayals of hard-as-nails, no-nonsense women capable of pummeling everyone they see, while also having a petite frame with hips and chest to spare and a face full of makeup. With Abby, it's a breath of fresh air to see a woman presented in a manner fitting her role with her massive arms, broad shoulders and muscular chest. Abby absolutely looks like she could hold her own in a fist fight. Quiet Paul from the forum is 
somebody who didn't like Abby. I hated Abby so much that I flew through a lot of her story and probably missed a lot of stuff. Killing Joel, though, and the method of, was unforgivable. What I didn't expect is that by the end of the game, the only time I actually got teary-eyed was watching Ellie holding a weakened and pathetic-looking Abby beneath the water. I genuinely said out loud, just let her go, and sighed with relief when she eventually did. Mm. Well, the game worked on them, obviously, by the end. To, yeah, yeah, right. Steve Aaron from the forum says, the first time I welled up was the introduction of Dina during the Jackson snowball fight. The tears came not from sadness, but from such a release of tension. Within one three-minute scene, Naughty Dog had shown that their handling of the, their characters remained top draw. I could see why Ellie loved this woman and instantly cared for her within less time than it takes to turn on my console. That is real skill. I didn't know where the story would go, but I knew I was in safe hands. I don't think that Shannon Woodward gets enough credit for her work on this game. Mm. Uh, we need to crack on towards the end here, but uh, a little more on Lev. Uh, Stacey Henley of VG247 wrote about uh, the transgender community, of whom some were dissatisfied with the treatment of Lev, a transgender boy. Criticism was directed at the fact that Lev gets deadnamed and that non-transgender writers created him. Henley rebutted that the dead naming was done sparingly and that a trans transgender male actor, Ian Alexander, provides the voice and motion capture of Lev. Uh, that's from the IMDb. I really didn't understand the criticism of the character being dead named by the antagonists, which and the whole point of that was showing that these people are being transphobic to him. Uh, I don't think you can... Yeah, I, I thought that was a very uh, odd criticism. Yeah, it's de 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 depiction is not uh, condoning something. Exactly. You don't, yeah. Depicting racism doesn't mean I'm okay with racism. Precisely. Yeah. 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 The 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 people who rush in and call Lev by his dead name are are the villains. Killed. Yeah. And they get and then they get killed yeah. very quickly. Uh, there's a few theories going around regarding the very last scenes. Uh, did Ellie's pursuit of Abby cost her her relationship with Dina and the baby JJ, as well as two of her fingers and her ability to play the guitar properly, at least at that point, without some kind of um, prosthetic assistance, including symbolically her ring finger, of course. Uh, are Dina and JJ alive even? Um, there's some theories to suggest that they didn't even... She didn't even lose them and that actually her return to the house at the end of the game was um, actually while she's still in a relationship with Dina. Uh, she's wearing her bracelet. Uh, I think it's deliberately ambiguous. We we don't know for sure. Um, I felt like because of Ellie's actions, she deserved to lose two of her fingers and her girlfriend and her baby. But um, but maybe she didn't. Uh, and I still I still love Ellie in a way, even though she's you know clearly insane and killed hundreds because of the the performance and the writing yeah i i think like the 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 point of that ending more than anything is even if she has lost dina and jj she's on a better path now uh than mm -hmm. she was previously i i think the important thing is that like she has a path forward like she like i think if all of this cost her a relationship and and that family unfortunately like in my mind that's kind of like her serving her time right like that's that's yeah. her prison sentence for the yeah. crimes that she that's did commit. 
but yeah. now she she can um she can be rehabilitated she has an opportunity to reclaim some peace in her life even if mm. it means that she's had to leave other aspects of her life behind odinson 98 from the forum says the story really hit me hard having recently lost someone close to me i immediately understood ellie's pain and want for revenge as we get to the end of the game we can see the physical toll that the need for revenge has played on Ellie. She is absolutely broken and has lost everything. As the credits rolled on that horrifying scene on the beach and Ellie returning to see Dina had left with JJ, I was immensely drowned in sadness for both characters. Now, because the podcast is long, we don't have too long to talk about this. But uh, surprisingly enough, the game was originally planned to be even longer with Ellie and Abby being given five days each instead of three, that among other things would have fleshed out the Seraphites more and involved Ellie journeying to their island as well. This was cut from the original release for pacing. After completing the game for the first time, the menu screen changes. Originally a boat floating in a murky body of water now floats in a brightly lit lagoon with a rotunda in the background. According to Neil Druckmann, the building is on Catalina Island, which tells us that Abby has successfully reached the Fireflies. The final shot of the game sees Ellie walking away from the farmhouse where she's left her final memory of Joel, his guitar, presumably never to return, i.e. she is finally leaving him behind and moving on. So the game could have been even longer. Now, I I like how epic it is. I, I do, I, while I, I do empathise a bit with the, the last, the Santa Barbara section feels a bit like that final island of Resident Evil 4 yeah. in some ways. <laughs> Suddenly the enemies are all wearing helmets. Um, there's actually some really, I think, in- exciting uh, combat encounters in that section. And it does lead to that ultimate showdown where Ellie almost semi, somewhat partially redeems some of her actions. Yeah. Uh, and and yes, you could probably trim bits out of every area of the game and as I say, I might come back to that suggestion I made earlier that maybe reduce the length of the game and the body count simultaneously and you end up with a, a very different, less video gamey mm. product. But because I really enjoy the actual moment to moment of the combat and the exploration, all that, uh, I'm perfectly playing it through for a second time. I was very happy that it was another 25 mm-hmm. hours because I was having such a great yeah, time I mean, in this miserable Neil Druckmann world. says in the podcast, if they'd had more time, they would have cut more. So he did, you know, he does, I, and I think if if there was a death march crunch on the end of this and they delayed it a couple of times, maybe mm. there's something that the commentary about AAA being unsustainable is that that they just there's not enough time at the end for playtesters to feedback to designers to cut stuff to make games tighter, and so games come in very hot yeah. and potentially mm. too long. I think it it feels way too long for me, but I think it's because. The first half of it is just a bit unnecessarily long in some of the journeys out you do with like Jesse and Ellie on her own. Because in other places in the game, and the series is known for this, they smash cut when they need to smash cut, right? Yeah, uh, Around yeah, yeah. flashbacks and things, you know, they will cut when they need to cut. But there's just a few to me, when you're coming out from the theatre to go off on a new journey, there's just like quite a lot of going through seattle through boring buildings opening drawers that okay there's some interesting environmental storytelling but there's a lot of character interaction during the sure but given yeah but not when ellie's on her own and given how long the game is in scope Uh, with the mirroring i just feel personally 
it, the game started to stretch too too early in the experience. It started to feel too long, which may be so. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna jump in and say that I actually agree with what Tom's saying. <laughs> um, but um, sorry, I didn't mean no, to no, frame that in the way I did. But um, but um, what I I do think the game is too long, and I and I think that there are pacing issues because of that. Um, what I will say is, and and this is what I wouldn't sacrifice in any editing um, I would do to this game if I could, um, is um, you need to spend that amount of time with Abby because otherwise the magic trick that this game pulls off doesn't work. You need to be as invested in Abby and care about yeah. Abby as much as Ellie mm. by the time you reach the theatre. Because Ellie has an unfair advantage. You've already spent a whole other game with her. Uh, maybe not as playing her, but you're definitely connected to her. You have that emotional connection. You need to build that from scratch of Abby, and, and you need to spend 10 hours with yeah, her. Yeah, absolutely just do. dead on. Um, so, so, so less of I, Ellie would have helped me with that. I I think you could cut some stuff from the first half, and the game wouldn't mm-hmm. wouldn't suffer for it. Carl, how, about, how do you feel about the overall length? Do you know? I, th- I think my overall playtime was about thirty-six hours. I took a lot wow. of time. I explored You're looking everything. for all the secrets. Yeah, yeah. Looking I for just, the cards I... and the coins. Exactly. You know right, that that's right. kind of my playstyle. Absolutely no guides yeah. involved. You know, embed no. myself in the world. Every little conversation, sub conversation that can happen. You know, finding all these things. And I, as I said, I did a media blackout. I had no idea that it was a long game. I was surprised. Um, yeah, I bet you would have been, yeah. But the quality never felt for me that it really dropped to a standard that mm. still wasn't better than kind of the the opposition or, you know, alternative games that you would be playing. So even at the points where The Last of Us Part Two maybe dips a little bit, the quality there is still so exceptional. <laughs> That I completely appreciated it, and yeah, you know, I'd go along with that. Uh, and essentially getting to that point and having the story not end, flipping and then playing as Abby, you know, that that was it was a huge surprise. But I was the idea of more. That I mean, that's fantastic. And then I thought, well, yeah, but they'll cut this bit short. It'll maybe be about an hour and a half, and then it'll wrap it all up at the end. And the fact that it just kept going and going and. We, you know, again, the the detail, the depth of the storytelling, the character interactions, the the, the micro conversations that you have, you know, uh, discovering little bits within the environment, that standard just maintained itself throughout the entire thirty six hours. And yes, you could cut little bits um, here and there, but for me, the 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 standards, the quality, and the context of what was there meant that the game didn't feel worse for not having those additional cuts for me. And I really, really appreciated that. For me, it's been a long time I've played a game that has has set a standard so high and looked to maintain it so consistently, despite the the variations in the combat and approaches to certain areas. And then, you know, long periods of time where you may be not having that, the bits where, you know, there's happy and joking and and again, not so. So that, that all developed because of the length of the game for me. Might be one of those where we one day get a director's cut that's actually shorter <laughs> than the original. Uh, it does happen, does happen in movies. Dom's Beard is uh, perhaps one of the, the those on our forum who felt most negatively towards the game, uh, was, you know, really not happy with the story choices. Uh, so it's only fair we hear from him. 
I went in with high hopes, but overall I found the story to be manipulative in a cheap way from the beginning of Abby's playable section. They wanted to make you care about Abby by the end of the game, and I felt it was blatantly telegraphed. For example, Ellie kills a dog and then a pregnant woman, while Abby pets and plays with dogs. It seemed to say, Ellie bad, Abby good. Abby ditching the wolves at the drop of a hat surprised me as there wasn't even a hint of this. Maybe a diary like Ellie's may have given us an insight into her questioning of the wolves. She shows zero remorse for killing Joel. She was also fully prepared to kill Dina until Lev stopped her. Ellie going after Abby to California killed the story for me. She turns into Rambo, killing an entire faction to get to Abby, and then lets her go. Perhaps Naughty Dog should have given the player the option to kill Abby or not, to see how well they had told their story. Letting her go meant this whole section was pointless for both Ellie and the player, although it was a great new setting. Not necessarily for the world and the story of The Last of Us would that be a good thing. We don't know until it's done, I guess. Is it mm. done? We don't know. The fact that things are left... I think they potentially yeah. open is a, is a better thing for They're me. not quite right about Abby ditching the walls because we do get a whole flashback, don't we, with Abby and Owen sort of talking about the wolves adopting them but them finding them a bit scary and militaristic and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think, I, it, I think that stuff's all yeah. fully well explored, yeah. Uh, but I think if one had already taken against Abby, I think as as one of our earlier correspondents said, it would be very easy to kind of mentally skip all that stuff uh if you are you know if if the the shocking events and in, in, of which you know in the way in which you're introduced to abby if that was i think for a lot of people it was just you know yeah had, just too much to for overcome. them yeah exactly yeah ventus says if the first game was about a father coping with the loss of his daughter it makes sense that the sequel should deal with the opposite the loss of fathers and the after effects for those left behind i was shocked saddened and touched by the story and at no point was I angered by the decisions made by the writing team. As far as I'm concerned, unless I'm playing an RPG, I'm happy to experience someone's specific vision. Critics often point to decisions made by characters that either don't make sense or are cheap or political. The ending especially drew a lot of criticism, with Ellie not killing Abby being seen as robbing the audience of a cathartic finale. I liked the ending and found it quite comical that Ellie unwittingly became a freedom fighter, freeing a prison full of fireflies on her quest for revenge. Not that she cared. Steve Aaron says, I didn't think the original game really needed a sequel, but after playing the second instalment, I really do hope that Naughty Dog delivers us another chapter in order to cap off the experience. Designer Matt says, I don't think any game has got me emotionally invested in its story and characters as The Last of Us Part 2. It's the brutal, uncomfortable, and unexpected sequel that I can't stop thinking about. Is that like the about. bigger, longer, and uncut, but brutal, uncomfortable, and unexpected? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All desirable qualities. Mirrorin, who wrote loads and loads on our forum, and uh, and and bless her for it. Uh, I couldn't include nearly all of it, of course, but uh, I know she understands. Uh, says, I have played it all the way through four times and individual encounters multiple times, and I will most definitely play it again soon. I realised it may be my favourite game I've ever played. I just love it. And yeah, so part three, uh, just one bit of correspondence on the concept of that, because this, is, this I just thought was interesting, because it's somebody who isn't happy with part two, but could see the worth of a part three from that perspective. Luke, 10123 says the cutscenes, motion capture, voice acting, art and sound design are absolutely incredible. 
and I found the combat tense and challenging. And yet, I can't say I loved the game. It's such a joyless, miserable experience and lacks the character growth and the moments of levity that, made, that gave the first game its charm. We saw Joel grow to love Ellie in The Last of Us by the end. And by the end, even if we can't, just ex uh, we can't excuse his actions at the hospital, we understand them. But in part two, Ellie's pursuit of Abby goes so far beyond what is rational that she loses all the sympathy we've gained for her over two games. If there's a part three that gives the characters redemption and ends on a message of hope and happiness, I might reevaluate part two as part of a complete trilogy. Maybe even see it as a masterpiece. Right now, I just don't. Uh, we've got a, a real gamut of three word reviews that we will rattle through. This isn't nearly all that we got. We got loads and loads and loads, as you'd expect, including some haven't played it. Thanks for those guys. <laughs> um, follow us at Kane and Rince on Twitter. Cool. Uh, this one from Numero Sarger, asinine, insulting allegorization. Real Dave Jackson, gameplay sinks story. David L. Craddock says too much bloat. Richard Burt says emotionally draining ordeal. Terrell Patney says no straightforward villain. All right, Tolkien Taters. I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> See? <laughs> Connor Hawkes says, not the doggy. Mirrorin says, justice for Alice. Badger Catcher says, seared into memory. Alex79 UK, best served called. Deadbeat Punk says, fanboys fear biceps. <laughs> Speedy Fonzales says, emphatically team Abby. Warren John Hughes says, Joel deserved it. Sir Delboy. Divisive, brave, brilliant. Casual tuner, meticulous, morose, masterpiece. Guy in a hat tweets, itchy, tasty fingers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great Resident uh, Evil crossover. I thought we'd have a few uh, moments of levity in this otherwise grim and gritty uh, <laughs> epic podcast. So to summarise, uh, please keep them relatively brief. I think we've gone into some depth and detail about the game. But uh, yeah, would you recommend it in 2021? Thomas. It's got so much in it. I feel like I wanted less so that uh, I could enjoy the richness that was there better. But I also feel like I wanted more, if personally speaking, in a Last of Us sequel, this is more heart, more society, more about the ties that bind and not just about the wedges that drive us apart. Um, because because I don't know. Yeah. 2020. If you if you don't want an ultra violent meditation on the cycle of violence, maybe don't play it. And and I was yeah. I was perhaps <laughs> hoping perhaps that it would explore some themes of interdependence and community and how traumatized people cope um, in a positive way. But I suppose that was unrealistic expectations, maybe. And I and they you know they did signal with the the E three trailer you know where they showed that clip of the hanging that this was they did signal that. Mm. Um, you know the gameplay feels great in my hands. Uh, I I enjoyed Ellie's arsenal, and I really enjoyed Abby's kind of arc, um, just as a video game. Um, as I said before, the the thought of 
leaving my family for whatever reason i mean that moment okay you could say you know the writer's intent hit home for me really well i can say that actually that was really upsetting for me i kind of prefer it. i did i hadn't played that um on reflection but overall i get this this nagging sense that you know this is naughty dog at the height of its craftsmanship but i wish that craftsmanship was put to something that was a bit wider in outlook um and um you know the stories of crunch i suspect overscoping i suspect coming in quite hot and not having enough time to actually cut out stuff and look editing is really really hard thing to do especially god how difficult it must be to edit out like a level that someone's agonized over and all of the animations done you know to just at the last minute be like right cut that bit you know that well, all the plot beats are in there as well, aren't they? There's so you know you just you can't just pull exactly, something out exactly, of the middle look. of a game without it having far. Vid- maybe video games are even the hardest medium to edit for that reason. For te- technical, I would and, think so. And, okay, but but I just get this weird, overwhelming sense that all of this talent has been put towards a uh, you know a story that is pretty nasty and brutish, and it's not on reflection something I think I would have chosen to experience. Certainly not in that headspace of 2020 etc so it's really mm. difficult for me to it's, it's a towering achievement of video game making in some respects personally speaking it's a disappointment overall even though i really enjoyed a lot of the video gaminess of it but then that also detracted from a lot of me enjoying the kind of the core story which is supposed to be the big selling point so yeah super mixed feelings about it cool that's great I have less mixed feelings, obviously, as always, nothing's perfect. There are perhaps some changes that could have been made realistically or unrealistically to make it an even tighter or uh, more satisfying experience. But overall, I absolutely love playing this game through twice. Uh, And as I say, already dived back in for another harder playthrough Um, as dark and as grim and as gritty. And I, I enjoy all those things in fiction as the last of us's story and world is uh, and i do yeah i do agree i think there are a few points where it does teeter into gratuitousness rather than purely uh the using violence to make a point and tell a story um it's a weird i find it a weirdly f- like our correspondent mirroring uh, a, a weirdly enjoyable place to spend time partly the beauty of it and the you know the incredible as Tom said towering achievement but a lot of it's just to do with as as much as the characters do things in a lot of cases that you really really don't want them to do or or don't think they should do and at times you're even made complicit in those actions all nearly all the characters I think are so beautifully drawn designed animated and performed that I'm just happy to watch and be kind of involved in those interactions like I don't think I don't necessarily think The Last of Us 2 is, you know, some kind of great intellectual work or piece of particularly high art. But what I do think it is, like, I'm way more invested in it and I feel more affected by it than 10 seasons of The Walking Dead on TV, for example. And, you know, and I quite enjoy that. But uh, it, it, it may, yeah, it's weird, but if if there's an overall thought as 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 grim and brutal and gritty as it is, it makes it. I do have fun playing it. The 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 f word, and a lot of people 
absolutely, definitely will not. It will re re revolt some people. It would revolt my mum, that's for sure. Uh, and yes, if you are one of those people who thinks Joel is the hero, then it may revolt you too. Uh, yeah, for almost uh, opposite for the reason. rest of us. <laughs> yeah. But for the rest of us, uh, yeah, it's I mean, it's for me, I consider it an absolute essential play on the PS4. Just bear in mind that you might find it actively unpleasant. Josh. Um, so I think I have an interesting kind of perspective on on the first game and its relationship to, to this sequel, because I was very much of the perspective uh, perspective that has been um said multiple times during this recording that the first game didn't need a sequel um and mm. the ending and the the kind of vague ambiguity of its meaning of the original last of us was really valuable um i i think that came from a place of being worried that they were going to do a straight sequel to the last of us where it would yeah. be Joel and Ellie again going on some other kind of adventure together i think they justified the sequel in the in, in purely for the fact that they they swung for the fences and and did something really challenging and not something their audience that um you know not something audience pleasing not something crowd pleasing they went for something challenging and uncomfortable and i think it's not as perfectly as as much as something can be perfect but you know what i mean perfectly formed as the first game i think the first game is better paced i think the the first game every moment every character in the first game serves a purpose and has meaning whereas there are a few characters in the last of us 2 that i think you could drop um and there are a few 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 moments a uh, few moments and few storytelling beats that could could have been removed however having said that i think the things that the last of us 2 attempts are more ambitious and more exciting than a lot of what the first game attempts as great as that first game is the sequence when abby and ellie have their first uh, conflict I maintain is one of my favorite moments in all of video gaming because it manages to mesh the two halves of the Naughty Dog experience in a way that's exciting um, and in a way that is elevating what Naughty Dog ca are capable of, that it's pushing them in a, a different direction than the kind of set-piece cutscene, set-piece cutscene rhythm that they've been in for... Um, you know, a long, long while. Um, it's 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 an exciting sequel. It's a challenging one. It's flawed, but I think it's absolutely essential. Mm. Yeah, the well word that came up when when I was uh, discussing it with Jay a year ago was bold. Like, as in, they knew some of the decisions they were making were not going to go down well with some people. And uh, in in a in a very commercial market for a very expensive to make video game, uh, yeah, like obviously the word brave perhaps should only be used in other contexts, but um, but within that context of electronic entertainment, I'd say they they almost qualify. Uh, anyway, that's enough of me. Uh, Carl, your conclusions. I like to. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um... Just like. Talking so um no i think 
kind of following on from what Josh said is I appreciate that a first party Sony studio at a high cost, you know, high risk in terms of the reward needed for, for how not just the financial cost, but the duration it's taken to develop it came into it to deliver something that was always going to be divisive. And the thing I love about this game is it makes me challenge my own thoughts as they're happening in that moment. Am I happy? Am I unhappy? Do I actually understand the motivation behind that decision? Does that seem surreal? And it's so rare that any game does that. And the fact that this this game went on for a sequel that I was adamant did not exist because they were going to... Uh, cheapen the experience of the first one, that it wasn't going to feel right in the world, that they'd wrapped it up neatly into a story, and then it comes into it, and it, for me, just blows it away. It made me think about my approach when I'm playing a game so much differently, and the last time a game and its environment surprised me and awed me as much as The Last of Us Part Two did was Bioshock a lot of years ago and that Mm. is so incredible because that's kind of the buzz that i've been waiting to find in another game and i for sure did not think the last of us part two was going to be that and finding a Mm. buzz on something that is so morbidly bleak um you know i i was i was as surprised as anyone possibly could be and it's the most i've thought about the intake of a medium for a long period of time since Breaking Bad when that finished. And it's left that kind of gap in yeah. not just my library, but in in sort of my head and in my heart of 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 a medium that I love of well, where am I gonna find this next? And right. part of that is the doubt that I'll ever experience it again. And part of it is the excitement that I can't wait for the next thing that actually delivers that. And you know, it's so rare in for me to experience that. And you know, you want to talk about a rare experience in a game. I think we've laughed and, and and joked about the fact that I'm an emotional person. Like I'll I'll get I'll cry at pretty much anything other than video games. And I think we've we've established that only Brothers: A Tale of Two Sons is the only game that ever did it until this. And I was emotional at so many moments in this game, notably the museum, where you just had such a an element of humanity in there, in the characters, in the story arc that it it made me pause the game and leave the room because I I just had to digest what I'd experienced. And that's two of the villains. And that's two of the villains, (laughs) exactly. And, and, you know, the the fact that that care, that detail and that love and attention was paid through so many characters in that game and that, you know, I would uh, flip-flop back and forth on what's good, what's bad, you know, and, and where would I sit in that situation? And it's made me think about scenarios in my own life very differently, more about, you know, forgiveness and grudges. And, you know, that comes down to the phenomenal writing, the phenomenal acting of of the, the voice actors and, and the, you know, the physical motion capture actors. Um, I, you know, I, I didn't play another video game for three weeks after The Last of Us Part Two because nothing felt right and it felt like something had been taken from me. And... It sounds so dramatic, but that's the impact that it had on me as a title. And for that, 
I just I, I have to recommend it for it, it regardless of its violence, regardless of its tone, regardless of certain story beats that might be off putting. Because as an overall package, The Last of Us Part Two as a video game is completely unlike anything else that I've ever experienced as a game in terms of its emotional impact on me. It's an absolute masterpiece. Right. Well, we hope you've enjoyed that. Uh, certainly, if you're listening on our Patreon, you've had an extended show. If you're not, don't forget, uh, there is a longer version of this podcast with more discussion of the game. So if there was some aspect of it that you think, why didn't they talk about that? We probably did. Although, of course, in such a work, it's impossible to cover absolutely everything. But we hope we've uh, done it some kind of justice. So it just remains for me, Leon, to thank Josh, Carl, Thomas, Editor Jay, as well as our correspondents, and to you for listening. Next time, in issue 477, my dear friend Sega Rally Championship. Thank mm-hmm. you.